Welcome to Between Two Barrels, a twice-weekly podcast recorded at Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery. Between Two Barrels is a show that highlights legends of all shapes and sizes from across the state of Tennessee. From the queen of country Dolly Parton to the elusive Tennessee Wildman. From our head distiller to our legendary staff and products. On this show, you will learn some terms of the alcohol industry, as well as learn some awesome recipes for food and cocktails alike. Join us as we journey through the volunteer state to bring you stories of legends that involve the beautiful state of Tennessee, from country music as well as rock and roll royalty, cryptids, distillery origins, carbonated beverage beginnings, and everything in between. This show truly highlights what makes a legend a Tennessee legend. Welcome back, Legends, to another episode of the Between Two Barrels podcast. I'm your host, Opie, and joined by our dearest manager, B-Lo. What's up, B? Not a whole lot, man. We are getting ever so closer to that holiday, mm-hmm. and that is, of course, Christmas Day. Christmas. Um, for all of you that would be uh, keeping up with the number of days, if you're going to be singing along with Kermit. From the Muppet Christmas Carol uh, at this point. With it being Thursday, uh, we have tonight, tomorrow night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. So we would be having four more sleeps till Christmas Day. Four more sleeps till Christmas. At this point, absolutely. Like the lamp, not the rat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, coming in, like I said, getting so much closer. Um, we are definitely wrapping things up for the year here mm-hmm. at the distillery. Um, this time of year, of course, making sure that all of our numbers and figures and everything else for the year is getting caught up. Um, so that way we can relax for a little bit after the first of the year, uh, in a sense. Uh, but very, very short-lived because we do have to really get into all the preparations. Mm. Uh, and, of course, get into our wintertime list of uh, deep cleans, mm. rearrangings, um, all of that good stuff. So, yeah, we've definitely got a, a busy time ahead of us, even though it's not going to be all that busy in town. So if you do want to take an opportunity to be able to visit this area, possibility of seeing some... Uh, wintry precipitation up in the higher elevations still are a few things to do as opie mentioned on the last episode of course ober gatlinburg is going to be open you can go Mm -hmm. up on the mountain enjoy some of the normal amenities that would be enjoyed on some ski slopes Uh, of course uh it hasn't been a huge snow in any capacity yet this year but like i said opie mentioned last or earlier this week um, they are doing the pseudo power powder. They are making the snow and getting the snow covering the entire mountain up there. So the slopes will be open um, while you're in town for that time of year. Mm. So definitely something to check out. And of course, you can always find us open seven days a week. Um, during this time of year, we will be closing a little bit earlier. Uh, we'll be doing like a 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, just because it's already dark for a couple hours and most everything else in the area is shut down by that time. Um, 
the as as odd as it may seem most of the the businesses around this area still kind of follow the old farmers you know yeah we're open with the sunlight basically a uh, few businesses excuse me of course will continue to stay open afterwards uh, but whenever there's not a lot of people in town of course things start closing up earlier so uh, opportunity to check stuff out nowhere near the traffic but you know there's definitely some some cons to this time of year too so yeah plan accordingly yeah. when coming to the area absolutely so last episode we talked about the legend of the christmas carol uh quite possibly one of our oldest traditions that have still stuck around today however this episode we're talking about the christmas legend a jolly old big boned man He's a fat guy. <laughs> Jolly old fat man. Well, at least what his current depiction yes. is, is of a fat guy. Yes, because his current depiction. As, as you're going to learn on this episode and some stuff that I was able to look into, um, several different references uh, for the, the person or the entity mm. that we know as Santa Claus. Because I'd be willing to say that by the time that this, is, uh, this episode is said and done with... Um, in a sense, similar to uh, uh, the Slender Man or, or some of the entities that have been created just strictly mm-hmm. off of people's beliefs, mm-hmm. um, that, that that could be what Santa Claus yeah. now operates as. But uh, this is actually something that is a little bit more near and dear to me, um, mainly because whenever I reach the what would be retirement age and will probably start doing some of this type of work beforehand. Uh, I'm already currently in preparations for this. Uh, Namely one, the beard Mm -hmm. in and of itself, just making sure that I get a, a really good base beard in my life so that whenever I do reach uh, the point in time in my life to where I'm not actually having to um, alter it uh, with chemicals and stuff like that, it's naturally a white color, uh, I will be fully prepared to take on the persona of Santa Claus. Um, whether it be a Tim Allen style or or even, you know... Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt Russell style, <laughs> that would be another good one too. Um, but to take on the moniker, whether yeah. it actually be... You know, I assume the the, you know who the else, actual Santa uh, Claus starts to uh, get re- ready for that around this time of year. You know who else is a Santa Claus? Who's that? The hardcore legend himself, Mick Foley. Oh yeah, he is a Santa Claus, an established awesome. licensed I Santa Claus. Did not know that. Every I year he no starts clue. to get ready. That's awesome because, and we have worked with several of them around this mm-hmm. area. Yep. Most notably, I was actually uh, my wife and I the the officiant for our wedding that's true um is a santa claus yeah yeah so um it is definitely firmly entwined with with my my life's journey to at some point in time which i actually already have donned the the red suit hat black boots and belt um, for some of the shows around here a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, was going to be going into it a bit more extensively uh, during one of the show runs, but ultimately that didn't happen. Uh, not going to lie, I was bummed out about it for a little bit of time um, because I was definitely willing to do that. But, of course, 
Um, in doing that, you know, you're having to make a major, at least at my age, making a major physical appearance change. And an investment. Um, it's and, an investment. And a full-on, yes, investment into, because whenever I would be going out around in town, I, you know, I had would have to continue that persona because yeah. people would recognize me as that character, as Santa Claus from the show. Mm-hmm. So I, at that point in time, you know, I would not have any sort of, you know, personal life outside of my home, so to speak. And, and that's something that, you know, whenever, I guess, actors do this, that's why they get paid some of the money that they get yes. paid because whenever they are doing this, they are especially Marvel characters, oh, or DC yeah. characters, yeah. any sort of comic character, that they are then assuming this sort of... Mantle, ma- pretty yeah, much. Personality. I mean, it's, it's, it's a mantle. It doesn't matter how long goes by. If someone runs into RDJ, they're not talking about Sherlock. No, he's Iron Man now. He's Iron Man, and he knows that. Yeah. You know, and these people sign up for that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, if you're going to make that kind of investment, then, yeah, your Santas need to be paid because that's not a character you can really turn off. No, I mean, the Wendy's commercials, uh, even as of the last couple of years... I, that's not really him. I, yeah, I think it really is him. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go over and check. And he's like, oh, yeah. what's that there? You got a little something yeah. in your beard. Uh, uh, yep, it's, real. it's real. It's real. Or, I, hey, do you mind if I sit? And he sits down on his, on his lap. lap. <laughs> and it's like, come on, man. But, yeah, yeah um, once I get to, you know, what that age would be, getting into my, you know, 50s or whatnot, which isn't that far away. I don't have too much further to, to go before I'm actually getting into that point. That's true. Uh, but definitely looking forward to um, also trying to learn uh, some basic communication um, in several different languages. So that way, if I do have, including sign language, mm-hmm. so that way if I do have children come up or, you know, that being a thing, I can actually make their moment enjoyable. Whereas some others that they wind up visiting, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. So my my preparation has been taking place for quite some time uh, as part of that. And, of course, um, I think the the Santa Claus entity is also one of the most patient uh, entities that there is. And and we all know that I have (laughs) truckloads of of patience whenever it comes to a lot of things. So. But yeah, uh, one of my ultimate goals in life is to become the best Santa Claus, um, at least as far as a mall Santa Claus, and maybe that'll lead to me eventually becoming like the the guy, the guy. So well, you have to you have to cause him to fall off your roof first. Well, I'm not entirely going to be going that route, but maybe <laughs> it'll be like the uh, um, Ernest Saves Christmas yeah. style, yeah. to where oh, there's been a few people being scouted. I've been doing this for a few yeah. thousand years. I need to. <laughs> Move time on. to hang it up. Time to time to find someone else, and of course, I mean that's another uh, thought process. Whenever it comes to the Santa Claus character, maybe it's a Dread Pirate Robert scenario. I like that. To where no, uh, this guy's Santa Claus. Yeah, and and I'm his head elf. As a matter of fact, he wasn't the real Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. So, I like that. But but that basically that's what we're saying is that's who we're talking about. We're talking about the big man, Father Christmas, the head elf in charge. Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, St. Nick, Kris Kringle, or simply Santa. Santa. 
is, of course, a legendary figure. Originating in Western Christian culture, who is said to bring gifts during the late evening and overnight hours on Christmas Eve, he is said to accomplish this with the aid of Christmas elves, who make the toys in this North Pole workshop, and with the aid of flying reindeer, who pull his sleigh through the air. The modern figure of Santa is based on folklore traditions surrounding St. Nicholas, the English figure of Father Christmas, and the Dutch figure of Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas. Santa is generally depicted as a portly, jolly, white-bearded man, often with spectacles, wearing a red coat with white fur collar and cuffs, a white fur-cuffed red trousers, a red hat trimmed with white fur, black leather belt and boots carrying a bag full of gifts for children. He is popularly associated with a deep, hearty laugh frequently rendered in Christmas literature as ho, ho, ho. See? I've already got that. You've got the ho, ho, ho. I've got the ho, ho, ho down ready to go. Uh, in several different versions, um, the the more boisterous, mm-hmm. jolly laugh as well as just the, you know, normal, real close acquaintance. Just So, yeah. Uh, this image originated, believe it or not, not, of course, uh, through Coca-Cola Corporation. Um, well, I was about to say that. I was like, didn't Coca-Cola create Santa? <laughs> in North America, now the, the polar bear, on the other hand. Yeah. The Coca-Cola drinking polar bear. Um, this image originated in North America. <laughs> you were about America. to say Coca-Cola did create the polar bear. Did Coca-Cola <laughs> did create the polar bear, however. Um <laughs> <laughs> Just like Bob Dolan created the internet. Yes. <laughs> this image originated in North America during the 19th century and has been maintained and reinforced through song, radio, television, children's books, family Christmas j- traditions, films, and advertising. Yes, definitely a very unmistakable figure. Mm. Um, and there have been several different iterations where, as opposed to red, I've seen green... Yeah. Purple. Yeah. Uh, of course, with licensed merchandise through different sports teams, you will have those individual teams' colors. Yeah. Um, as, you know, several different possibilities. Um, I personally prefer a uh, Kelly Green um, in terms of the Santa suit, personally. I would don the red, um, but I, I prefer more of the the ornate uh, Santa, as opposed to just the plain red with the white trim. I uh, I have a picture. Um, it's an old, old, old picture that is put up every year. Used to be at my house, but now uh, it's at our house because the Santa collections were mine. Okay. So this picture comes with yeah. The Santa remember collection. you said mom yeah. said that it's yeah. this old depiction of Saint Nicholas. And he's in this, he looks more like a grade version of the Ghost of Christmas present. You know, big, the tall, Dickens. yeah, tall, boisterous. And he has this long Kelly Green trench coat with white fur yep. rimming it. And I, every time I see it, I'm like, I like that better. There's something more legendary about it as opposed to what we get in with the Coca-Cola Santa and and. Tim Allen Santa and what most modern or the people, Saturday Evening Post yes, Santa or, yeah. or the Saturday Evening Post Santa or pretty much you know what the old shows started to give us is 
this legendary tall figure as opposed to this shorter, fat, jolly... An, an oversized elf. Yes, oversized elf. I like the thought of this this character being this kind of tall legend. And as I was doing some of the reading into this, um, <laughs> there is actually... I don't want to say entirely surprisingly... Um, but that description, that that type of imagery, is very fond and reminiscent of a very very prominent pagan mm-hmm. figure that, in some aspects, has been viewed as a possible inspiration for the Santa Claus character, especially in that description yeah. as being that tall, more. Uh, uh, I don't want to say physically imposing, but definitely more physically noticeable than a, a short fat. I'm guy. a little teapot sort of, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, physiology, yeah, as it were. Um, of course, one of the more known inspirations for, and you just mentioned it, Saint Nicholas mm. uh, for Santa Claus. Uh, Saint Nicholas was a fourth century Greek. Christian Bishop of Myra, now Dimra, in the region of Lycia in the Roman Empire, which is today known as Turkey. You mean Santa's Turkish? He ain't Southern and American? And of course not. <laughs> but the one of the main things that sticks out to me as well is the fact of coming from fourth century. So the the person themselves, as well as some of the original imagery. And the songs are coming out during the 4th century. Now, is this a situation to where one was earlier, one was later? I Around the same some, time that we deeper digging. discovered that caroling began. Yeah. So, a legend as old as, they're kind of the same age. Tale as old as time. Yeah, Santa and caroling were very, yeah. about the same time. And Maybe. still going today. Maybe maybe one of the first ones should have been, Here comes Santa Claus, here <laughs> comes Santa Claus, yeah. riding down Santa Claus Lane. Nicholas was known for his generous gifts to the poor, in particular presenting the three impoverished daughters of a pious Christian with dowries so that they would not have to become prostitutes. He was very religious from an early age and devoted his life entirely to Christianity and in continental Europe, more precisely the Netherlands, Belgium, Austria, and the Czech Republic, and Germany, he is usually portrayed as a bearded bishop in canonical robes. So, according to the folks from the Netherlands, Belgium, Austria, Czech Republic, and Germany, his imagery, still to this day, is, of course, of a, a bearded gentleman... Yeah. An elderly bearded gentleman. Um, but he is not this short, fat, rosy cheeked yeah. person. Um, and he would be typically more depicted as wearing more traditional religious garb, uh, in this sense, um, as a bishop mm-hmm. in the more traditional robes that, that the bishops would have worn during the fourth century. Fourth century. But I I did not know until looking into this that one of the more known things that he had done was gave these three women or gave the father dowries 
mm-hmm. on behalf of these women. That way, they wouldn't have to go out and become prostitutes to be able to. So he would have make them money for marriage. He could have, but I yeah. don't think he did. I think he was just like basically like here. I'm gonna tell no, no. He basically like sponsored like. So when it does come time for you oh, to give, yes, 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 the dowry, you'll have one, right? There's as opposed one there. to, huh? Right. Don't have a dowry. Sorry, so you you can't get married. Right. Ten eighty seven. While the Greek Christian inhabitants of Myra were subjugated to the newly arrived Muslim dynasty. And soon after, their Greek Orthodox Church had been declared to be in Shiism by the Catholic Church. A group of merchants from the Italian city of Bari removed the major bones of Nicholas's skeleton from his sarcophagus in the Greek church in Myra. Now, over the objection of the monks of Myra, the sailors took the bones of St. Nicholas to Bari, where they are now enshrined in the Basilica di San Nicola, and sailors from Bari collected just half of Nicholas's skeleton, leaving all the minor fragments in the church sarcophagus. So half the man's bones are in Greek or in Greece, and the other half of his bones are um, said that they uh, from the Italian city of Bari. So Bari. the rest of his uh, remains so are technically in he's Italy. in two different places. Yes. These were later taken by Venetian sailors during the First Crusade and placed in Venice, where a church to St. Nicholas, the patron of sailors, was built on the St. Niccolo Alido. So, he's also the patron saint of sailors. That's wild. So, Jimmy Buffett, doing a Christmas album, was basically saying, hey, patron saint. He's a sailor. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that actually kind of makes sense. I mean, if you get the headwinds just right and everything else, you catch one of them winds, the reindeer and everything else are going to yeah. get you quicker across the, the transatlantic yeah. to be able to do that one-night run. <laughs> Built on the St. Niccolo Alido, St. Nicholas's vandalized sarcophagus can still be seen in the St. Nicholas Church in Myra. This tradition was confirmed in two important scientific investigations of the relics in Bari and Venice, which revealed that the relics in the two Italian cities belong to the same skeleton. So he's actually spread around three places. St. Nicholas was later claimed as a patron saint of many diverse groups, from archers, sailors, and children to pawnbrokers. He is also the patron saint of both Amsterdam and Moscow. During the Middle Ages, often on the evening before his name day of December 6th, children were bestowed gifts in his honor. This date was earlier than the original day of the gifts for the children, which moved in the course of the Reformation and its opposition to the veneration of saints in many countries on the 24th and 25th of December. The custom of gifting to children at Christmas was propagated by Martin Luther as an alternative to the previous very popular gift custom on St. Nicholas to focus the interest of the children to Christ instead of the veneration of saints. Martin Luther first suggested that the Christ kind as the bringer of gifts, but Nicholas remained popular as gifts bearer for the people. The most shocking thing you said in all that was that he's the patron saint of Moscow. Oh. <laughs> That's insane. Of Amsterdam and Moscow. 
So it's nothing about Moscow, Russia, to me. Screams, screams Saint Nicholas. A, a gift giving. Yeah. You know, willing to pay Except the dowry. buildings, maybe. And stuff like that. But yes, um, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. Lutherans. Mm-hmm. Basically, responsible for pulling away from Saint Nicholas and trying to. Basically, it was him that said, we're going to move this away from the pagan side, or even in this case, the Catholic side, yeah. oh, and yeah. make this more Our thing. Protestant. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of that back in the day. But of course, the majority of the people at that time were still like, no, this is... Yeah. We know the old way. Actually, no, this we is know, our thing. We yeah, we yeah, <laughs> this is ours. Quit yeah. taking our stuff. Um, another one, and one that, of course, um, you were just talking about uh, as the ghost of Christmas present, mm-hmm. uh, illustrated in the Charles Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol, as that uh, um, holly wreath or yeah. or uh, a crown halo yeah. um, that he wore, as well as that long green uh uh fur trimmed mm-hmm. more of a robe uh that actually was also in the muppets version was yep. a large muppet yeah it was a large in muppet. that aspect um but in any instances wound up being shown as open like the top of the robe stayed open mm-hmm. the entire time showing a bare chested yeah uh and and mostly muscular yeah uh, uh, persona underneath, yeah. which definitely is a far step away from the short little fat man yeah. in the red suit. Santa used to be jacked. Uh, and, and started eating all those milk and cookies. That's what it was. Yeah. All that milk and cookies. He was uh, having a fight for dinner beforehand and then got to the tradition of everybody leaving him out milk and cookies. And <laughs> he, he wound up turning soft. Um but this is also you were talking about the Kurt Russell Santa or the the one from the uh, animated movie, um, where Santa like is the, tattooed uh, and muscular. I like the. I subscribe to Kurt Russell Santa pretty hard. Yeah. This legendary, like I don't say ho ho ho. Yeah. Taller, more yeah. like. You know this legendary figure. This kind of. I I'm here fighting f- against the. The oppression and the yeah. the the hardships that people have to deal with around mm-hmm. this time of year, and if somebody's going to make sure spirit. that everybody has, yeah. you know, a good time during this time of year, mm-hmm. when everything else is dying around you, all the mm-hmm. the yeah, uh, tree life, you know, plants and stuff like that, then it's going to be me. Yeah, yeah. You know, the GI Joe of of. You know, of of winter, of winter, yeah. yeah. But uh, that character, of course, being Father Christmas. Father Christmas dates back as far as the 16th century in England during the reign of Henry the Eighth, when he was pictured as a large man in green or scarlet robes lined with fur. He typified the spirit of good cheer at Christmas, bringing peace, joy, good food and wine and revelry and in this depiction and I just thought of this is very much likened to Dionysus yeah in Greek mythology as being basically the god of 
partying, merriment, yeah, a good time. wine, among other things that we're not going to get yeah. into. Um, but yeah, I mean, the that imagery is very, very reminiscent of Dionysus yeah. in this instance. Uh, as England no longer kept the feast day of St. Nicholas on the December the 6th, the Father Christmas celebration was moved to 25th of December to coincide with Christmas Day. The Victorian revival of Christmas included Father Christmas as the emblem of good cheer, and his physical appearance was variable, with one image being John Leach's illustration of the ghost of Christmas present in Charles Dickens' festive story, A Christmas Carol, as a great genial man in a green coat lined with fur who takes Scrooge through the bustling streets of London on the current Christmas morning, sprinkling the essence of Christmas onto the happy populace. Mm. And just another situation to where, like, you hear all the time, oh, keep Christ in Christmas. Yeah. I. This is one of those that where anybody in my family, especially on my mom's side, wind up listening to this and they'd be... That's just completely blasphemous for you to turn around and say that keep Christ in Christmas is actually Christ was getting shoved into Christmas. Yes. I mean, yeah, there may be the the C-H-R-I-S-T in it, but the whole thing, the decorations, the, the tree, the, the... Spirit of giving mm-hmm. predates the birth of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of what Christmas became predates the birth of Christmas yeah. of Christ. Christ. Yeah. And then everything yep. was just like, oh, well, that was a very significant happening. So we're just going to well, attach everything to that. Just the whole fact that we still play it up, even though we know he wasn't born in, at Christmas. No. We still play it up. Like, Th- we still just time. keep moving. Like, so, yeah, oh, we're no, just moving all this no. to this time. No, that We didn't. even found proof that he wasn't born at this time. That he was more likely born in the spring. Yeah. But we still stick with this story. It's during this time. Yeah, it's this time. Now, in the Dutch, Belgian, and Swiss folklore, um, Still carrying the the moniker of Saint Nicholas, but also Sinterklaas. In the Netherlands and Belgium, the character of Santa Claus competes with that of Sinterklaas based on Saint Nicholas. Santa Claus is known as De Kerstman in Dutch, the mm-hmm. Christmas Man, and Pere Noël, Father Christmas in French. For children in the Netherlands, Sinterklaas remains the predominant gift giver in December. 36% of the Dutch only give presents on Sinterklaas evening or the day itself, which is the 6th of December. So, of course, at this point, it has already been celebrated in that part of the world by certain, uh, by a, a percentage of people, and according to this, 36%. While Christmas... 25th of December is used by another 21% to give presents and some 26% of the Dutch population gives presents on both days. So they're celebrating the more traditional and the more secular, I guess you could say, in this instance. 
In Belgium, presents are offered exclusively to children on December the 6th, and on Christmas Day, all ages may receive presents. St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas assistants are called Pieten in Dutch or Pere Futad in French, so they are not elves. Mm. In Switzerland, Pere Futad, uh, Pere Futad accompanies Pierre Noël in French-speaking region, while the sinister Schmutzli accompanies Semaklaus in the Swiss-German region. Smutsley carries a twig broom to spank the naughty children, so a form of Krampus. Uh, or, in a sense. Um, uh, Anti Claus. Uh, Berschnickel. Yeah. is also very much like him. He carries the thing to judge you, uh, impish or good. Good or impish. And if I you're gotcha. judged impish, he hits you. All right. Dwight plays. On Dwight Christmas, he, he gotcha, he gotcha. Said he okay. dresses up as Bathsnickel. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Which is loosely based off the character you just talked about. Nice. So, so they all, all kind of coincide of, with yeah. each other. Uh, and and looking at this, um, it it kind of reminds me of some traditions that I've had in my household, mm-hmm. or I can't say my household households that I have grown up in, like mm-hmm. you know. Um, Going up until I reached my early teens, it was a situation to where, um, especially since my parents divorced at a young age, that Christmas Eve was spent at one parent's side, Christmas Day was spent at the other side. Typically, it was Eve at my dad's side of the family and Day with my mom's side of the family because what would happen is we had all the family on dad's side come over to grandma's house on christmas eve Mm. and then same thing on christmas day with mom's mom's side of the family so even though there's not as many days separated it was a situation to where we would do a portion of it before and a portion on and kind of like what they're doing now uh in dutch customs is observing sinterklaas uh, what would be December the 6th and then Christmas Day more so on of mm-hmm. course the 25th mm-hmm. now here's one that I was talking about earlier that was definitely very interesting to me um, in the fact of someone who was used as inspiration for the character of Santa Claus the pagan Father Christmas mm. the all Father. Odin. Yes. Prior to Christianization, the Germanic peoples, including the English, celebrated a midwinter event called Yule. With the Christianization of Germanic Europe, numerous traditions were absorbed from Yuletide celebrations into modern Christmas, such as the Wild Hunt, frequently attested as being led by the god Odin or Woden, bearing among many names. Yolnir meaning Yule figure and Langbardor meaning Longbeard in Old Norse. Now Woden's role during the Yuletide period has been theorized as having influenced concepts of St. Nicholas and Santa Claus in a variety of facets including his long white beard and his gray horse for nightly rides compared to Odin's horse of course 
Sleepnir, mm-hmm. or his reindeer in North American tradition. Folklorist Margaret Baker maintains that the appearance of Santa Claus or Father Christmas, whose day is the 25th of December, owes much to Odin, the old blue-hooded, cloaked, white-bearded gift-bringer of the North, who rode the midwinter sky on his eight-footed steed, Sleepnir, visiting his people with gifts. Odin, transformed into Father Christmas, then Santa Claus, prospered with St. Nicholas, and the Christ child became a leading player on the Christmas stage. In Northern Europe, the Yule Goat was an earlier bearer of gifts, which has to some degree became conflated with Santa Claus, for instance, the Finnish Joluki tradition. Some other origins in history include early representations of the gift giver from church history and folklore, especially St. Nicholas, merged with the English character Father Christmas to create the mythical character known to the rest of the English-speaking world as Santa Claus. In the English and later British colonies of North America and later in the United States, British and Dutch versions of the gift gift giver merged even further. For example, in Washington Irving's History of New York, Santa Claus was anglicized into Santa Claus, a name, of course, first used in the U.S. press in 1773, but lost his bishop's apparel and was first pictured as a thick-bellied Dutch sailor with a pipe in a green winter coat. Irving's book was a parody of the Dutch culture of New York and much of this portrait in his joking invention. So, a parody of Father Christmas is what slowly evolved. Yes, a portly sailor smoking on a pipe. Because, if I remember correctly, then I may be remembering this wrong, what's modernized as Santa now, what we see on Coke, it wasn't Coca-Cola, um, was Twas the Night, wasn't it? Is Twas the Night one of the first times we get this jolly red? Again, Are you talking about as far as like a, the uh, poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas, went all through the house. Oh, as far as whenever you get the description is of he, Santa. Is, is that At that point in time, yes, I think that's whenever you're getting the went first. Went from sailor into. And that's the thing because, I mean, in that he's talking about the the smoke rings mm-hmm. encircle his head like a wreath. Yeah. And yeah, so I mean that's definitely a, a again. A good I may I may be that. remembering that wrong, but I, sw- I swear, fifth grade Tyler learned that when I was having to for a class memorize the whole poem "Twas the Night." Right. That it was this author who evolved Santa into this this character, chubby little right, jolly, and he shook when he laughed. And like a bowl full of jelly. As we continue on, we might actually Uh, find that out. So, Irving's interpretation of Santa Claus was part of a broader movement to tone down the increasingly wild Christmas celebrations of the era, which included aggressive home invasions under the guise of wassailing, substantial premarital sex leading to shotgun weddings in areas where the Puritans, waning in power and firmly opposed to Christmas, still held some influence and public displays of sexual deviancy, the celebrations of the era were derided by both upper-class merchants and Christian purists. 
So, Father Christmas being more of that Dionysus character, or seemingly more like that Dionysus character in some of these more pagan, the non-Puritan. And it was, of course, the Puritans that whitewashed a lot of this stuff at that point in time. Because we don't talk about that stuff. Right. That's all taboo. They're, I mean... He was yeah, more, it he was sucked more that of people a, were using a, uh, the the uh, wassailing tradition yeah, to, for to, to for home invasion, um, but and of course you know people just having orgies I guess in a sense oh we're having a Christmas celebration we're having a Christmas orgy yeah that's I mean yeah I, I can can see trying to do away with oh, that yeah. type of stuff yeah but the Puritans were going to the to the extent of wanting to try to ban Christmas caroling, they turned into the town from from uh, Footloose. Yes, who banned dancing. Yes. Yep. Um, throughout the entire world, not just particular areas. Oh, yeah. And this, of course, led to these clandestine groups of people still wanting to sing Christmas carols and... and who knows if they were still into the orgy thing or not, but I mean, still it, it was just like about having fun during yeah. this time of year. And, and the Puritans were like, again, they came through and just completely whitewashed mm-hmm. everything. This segment of between two barrels is brought to you by the Smoky mountain rainforest adventures located in the heart of the Smoky mountains of Tennessee near Gatlinburg and pigeon forge lies the rainforest adventures zoo, which is open year round with lots to see and do. Themed by one of the nation's finest zoological contractors, a former Animal Kingdom zoologist of Disney World. The Rainforest Adventure Zoo features over 600 live animals, representing over 130 species. It is home to unique and beautiful creatures from both tropical and temperate climates alike, including reptiles, birds, mammals, and even the ever-so-popular and exotic axolotl. Book your visit today at rfadventures.com, or stop by and see them at 109 NASCAR Drive in Sevierville, Tennessee. And when you do, tell them Tennessee Legend Distillery sent you. I know you're Scott Calvin. You know you're Scott Calvin. So let's make this simple. I say name, you say Scott Calvin. Name? Chris Craven. Name? Santa Claus. Name? Père Noël. Babo Natale. Père's Nicole. Papa Gigio. Moving into the 19th century, in 1821, the book A New Year's Present to the Little Ones from 5 to 12 was published in New York. It contained Old Santa Claus with Much Delight which was an anonymous poem describing Santa Claus on a reindeer sleigh bringing rewards to the children. Some modern ideas of Santa Claus seemingly became canon after the anonymous publication of the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known today as The Night Before Christmas. Yes. (laughs) In the Troy, New York Sentinel on December the 23rd, 1823, uh, Clement Clark Moore later claimed authorship, though some scholars argue that Henry Livingston Jr., who died nine years before Moore's claim, was the actual author. St. Nick is described as being chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, with a little round belly that shook 
when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. In spite of which, the miniature sleigh and tiny reindeer still indicate that he is physically diminutive. The reindeer were also named Dasher, Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, Comet, Cupid, Dunder, and Blixum. What became Donner and Blitzen? Yes, came from the old Dutch words for thunder and lightning, which were later changed to the more German-sounding Donner and Blitzen. That's which actually, which actually makes me, you know, lean more toward Odin, Odin in terms yeah. of yeah, of the base for Father Christmas with the the thunder and lightning. By 1845, Kris Kringle was a common variant of Santa in parts of the United States. A magazine article from 1853 describing American Christmas customs to British readers refers to children hanging up their stockings on Christmas Eve for a fabulous personage whose name varies. In Pennsylvania, he is usually called Kris Kringle, all one word. But in New York, he is known as St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. The author quotes Moore's poem in its entirety, saying that its description applies to Chris Crinkle, too. As the years passed, Santa Claus evolved into a large, heavyset person. One of the first artists to define Santa Claus's modern image was Thomas Nast, an American cartoonist of the 19th century, who immortalized Santa Claus with an illustration for the January 3rd, 1863 issue of Harper's Weekly, in which Santa was dressed in an American flag and had a puppet with the name of Jeff written on it, reflecting its Civil War context. In this drawing, Santa is also in a sleigh pulled by reindeer. Now, the story that Santa Claus lives at the North Pole may also have been a nast creation. His Christmas image in the Harper's issue dated 29th of December 1866 was a collage of engravings titled Santa Claus and His Works, which included the caption Santa Clausville. So Santa Clausville was the original, I guess, name for the North, North Pole, Pole, and it just got changed over to the North Pole. A color collection of Nast's pictures was published in 1869, had a poem also titled Santa Claus and His Works by George P. Webster, who wrote that Santa Claus's home was near the North Pole in the ice and snow. Well, they had to, in the marketability of it, they had to put his whereabouts, his home, in a place that they know no human is going to venture to find. And see, this is something for me that kind of opens up a couple of other different doors. Um, just because I have uh, read into different hollow earth theories and stuff yeah. like that. And one of the main places is at the poles mm-hmm. as to where potential entrances or, or things are hidden. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, why not just go ahead and say... Oh, yeah, that's where Santa is. Yeah, that's, yeah Santa hangs out up there. Because nobody's going to go, because it's freaking cold. Right. You could also say he's in Antarctica, because statistically nobody's walking around Antarctica looking for the man. No. So. No. The tale had become well-known by the 1870s, and a boy from Colorado writing to the children's magazine The Nursery in late 1874 said if we did not live so very far from the North Pole 
I should ask Santa Claus to bring me a donkey. Dominic the donkey. That there you go. Uh, there's there's a uh, kid in Colorado. Cursed song. So it's Dominic for you. I am not a fan of hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Yeah. So that's my anti or anti animal Christmas. Anti animal Christmas yeah. song. The idea of a wife for Santa Claus may have been the creation of American authors beginning in the mid nineteenth century. In 1889, the poet Catherine Lee Bates, Kathy Bates, popularized <laughs> Mrs. Claus in the poem Goody Santa Claus on a Sleigh Ride, Is There a Santa Claus, is the title of an iconic editorial by Francis Farcellus Church. On the 21st of September, an 1897 edition of the New York Sun that became the most reprinted in the U.S. and included the famous reply, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. In Russia, Dead Moroz emerged as a Santa Claus figure around the late 19th century, where Christmas for the Eastern Orthodox Church is kept on January the 7th. Now moving into the 20th century, L. Frank Baum's The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, a children's book, was published in 1902. Much of Santa Claus's mythos was not firmly established at the time, leaving Baum to give his Neklaus, Nasil's little one, a variety of immortal support, a home in the Laughing Valley of Hohaho, and ten reindeer who could not fly but leapt in enormous flight-like bounds. Ooh, so he could, they could leap tall buildings in a, a single, single bound. bound. Clauses, and you probably picked up on the Laughing Valley of Hohaho. Mm-hmm. Claus's immortality was earned, much like his title, Santa, decided by a vote of those naturally immortal. This work also established Claus's motives, which were a happy childhood among, uh, happy childhood among immortals, and when Ack, master woodsman of the world, exposes him to the misery and poverty of children in the outside world, Santa strives to find a way to bring joy into the lives of all children, and eventually invents toys as a principal means. Hmm. There's an old claymation movie about the origin of Santa. He's like a red-headed young guy. Right, I remember that. Like, uh, Father Winter is starts out as a villain, and then they sing that song, put one foot in front of the other. Right. And, he's, and all of it is because, like, bring joy. He's like, yeah. oh, I, sh- I can make these toys, and I can... But how am I going to get around the world? So Frank Baum... The creator of Wizard of Oz. Yes, I was about to say that name should (laughs) sound very, very familiar. Uh, Frank Baum is credited with the 20th century modern, what we know as the abilities of Santa. Mm -hmm. And, And in his creation, in his story, his immortality was granted to him by other immortals mm-hmm. as like an aw- a reward like right a but I'm, I'm sitting there trying to think like there's this council of of immortal beings that just decide to be like alright Claus well I think they play with that uh, in Disney Santa Claus because in the sequel we meet well, I remember the you council see of legendary 
creatures or creatures, yeah. Mother so, Earth, Father Time, Cupid. So who started this? Would it be Mother Earth and Father Time? Probably. And then everybody, they just started granting them. Immortality and holidays. Right. We're tired of all this stuff. We've been doing all of this stuff yeah. the entire time. You guys need. We need to bring in a team. Yeah. A team of professionals. <laughs> Build our own League of Extraordinary L- Gentlemen. Legends. Legends assemble. Glad that you actually mentioned, uh, as far as the creator of uh, Wizard of Oz, Santa later appears in the Road to Oz as an honored guest at Ozma's birthday party, stated to be a famous and beloved enough for everyone to bow even before he is announced as the most mighty and loyal friend of children, His Supreme Highness Santa Claus. Ozma. Such great... Um, source material if someone really wanted to take and, and create a show about the real books of Wizard of Oz. Not just the movie that, that Judy Garland was in. Not just the weird sequels they did with like Return to Oz, which was creepier than right. all Get Out. The one that uh, James Franco was in. Take the actual books that L. Frank Baum and create a series. Right, and do this do like the a, source material right. Do this as a weekly episodic yes. release. Seasons of it. Yes. And ah, the books are so good. So good. Highly recommend you read them. Images of Santa Claus were conveyed through Haddon Sunblom's depiction of him for the Coca-Cola Company's Christmas advertising in the 1930s. There it is. That's where the the mic drop came in. The image spawned urban legends that Santa Claus was invented by the Coca-Cola company (laughs) or that Santa wears red and white because they are the colors used to promote the Coca-Cola brand. Coca-Cola's competitor, Pepsi-Cola, used similar Santa Claus paintings in its advertisements in the 1940s and 1950s. Historically, Coca-Cola was not the first soft drink company to utilize modern image of Santa Claus in its advertising. White Rock Beverages had used Santa figure in monochrome advertisements for mineral water in 1915 and again in 1923 through 1925. The same company used color images of Santa Claus in adverts for drink mixers. Earlier, Santa Claus had appeared dressed in red and white and essentially in his current form on several covers of Puck magazine in the first few years of the 20th century. The image of Santa Claus as a benevolent character became reinforced with its association with charity and philanthropy, particularly by organizations such as the Salvation Army, volunteers dressed as Santa Claus typically becoming part of fundraising drives to aid needy families at Christmas time. Of course, they are not dressing up as Santa Clauses as much, but the Salvation Army in front of most major retailers throughout this time of year are unmistakable by that ding, ding, ding that you hear as you go in and out of the different stores. In 1937, Charles W. Howard, who played Santa Claus in department stores and parades, established the Charles W. Howard Santa School, 
the oldest continuously run such school in the world. And in some images from the early 20th century, Santa was depicted as personally making his toys by hand in a small workshop like a craftsman. Eventually, the idea emerged that he had numerous elves responsible for making the toys, but the toys were still handmade by each individual elf working in the traditional manner. Could you imagine going from making stuff for if we go off of what what uh Baum's origin story so to speak was that you were making let's just say a half a dozen gifts for these immortal kids and then the one guy comes up and says hey you're doing a good thing I dig it and all but you're not taking into consideration all the mortal children and then he's like we need to do this on a larger scale holy crap yeah we need to scale up (laughs) and in a major way uh you're gonna go from six to six million how about it (laughs) i'm gonna need some help (laughs) so i need a few immortal people right i'm gonna need some help with this uh so could y'all work on creating some sort of labor force for me that uh doesn't take up a whole lot of room uh, is is very resistant to the elements and have a really long lifespan. <laughs> Make them cute, you Make know, cute just for the too. heck of it. Yeah, we we got this race of creatures. They started out making cookies and trees. We can take some of them and bring them to the North Pole, <laughs> right? And help you out. So yeah, I mean, I could, <laughs> that'd be funny to imagine that that's how that whole thing kind of went down. Like yeah. if you were to modernize. The transition going from, you know, I'm making this for these immortal children. Now I have to make it for the entire world. I'm going to have to get around somehow. All right, R&D team, we need to <laughs> <laughs> we need to do some brainstorming. We need to, to get into this. Wow. Now, of course, bringing back the Mrs. Claus mm. character, the 1956 popular song by George... Melacrino, Mrs. Santa Claus, and the 1963 children's book How Mrs. Santa Claus Saved Christmas by Phyllis McGinley helped standardize and establish that the character and role of Mrs. Claus in the U.S. but is not as received in other parts of the country other than the U.S. Seabury mm. Quinn's 1948 novel Roads Roads Mm. draws from the historical legends to tell the story of Santa and the origins of Christmas, while other modern additions to the story of Santa include Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the ninth and lead reindeer created in 1939 by Robert L. May, a Montgomery Ward copywriter, and immortalized in a 1949 song by Gene Autry. Rudolph is a year older than Batman. That's crazy. 1939. And took 10 years before he wound up getting a song. Mm. Batman probably had a song a whole lot quicker. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, uh, Rudolph definitely was a 20th century invention. Mm -hmm. So out of everything, Santa's modern look as well as the character of Rudolph. The most famous reindeer of all. The most famous reindeer of all, as Gene Autry put it are 20th century inventions. That's wild. 
Now, in popular culture, elves had been portrayed as using assembly lines to produce toys in the early 20th century, and that shift was reflected in the modern depiction of Santa's residence, now often humorously portrayed as a fully mechanized production and distribution facility equipped with the latest manufacturing technology and overseen by the elves with Santa and Mrs. Claus as executives or managers, of course, being best shown in... Tim Allen's The Santa Claus. Yes. In 1912, actor Leadham Bantock became the first actor to be identified as having played Santa Claus in a film. Santa Claus, which he also directed, included scenes photographed in a limited two-tone color process and featured the use of detailed models. Since then, many feature films have featured Santa Claus as a protagonist, including, of course, Miracle on 34th Street, Tim Allen's Santa Claus and Elf. In the cartoon base, Santa has been voiced by several people, including Mickey Rooney, Jim Cummings, Mel Smith, Ricky Tomlinson, Jim Belushi, and Alec Baldwin. Santa has been described as a positive male cultural icon, and Santa is really the only cultural icon we have who's male that does not carry a gun, is all about peace, joy, giving, and caring for other people. And that's part of the magic for me, especially in a culture where we've become so commercialized and hooked into manufactured icons. Santa is much more organic, integral, connected to the past, and therefore connected to the future. As quoted by TV producer Jonathan Meese, who portrays Santa in 2011, honestly could probably not be more wrong. At least in the aspect of um, Santa is a much more organic, integral, and connected to the past portion of yeah. it. Um, because what we, we know just as went Santa as, yeah. And it is not the Santa we have today. No. No, no, no. It's the All-Father. Now, in Norman Corwin's 1938 comic radio play, The Plot to Overthrow Christmas, <laughs> set entirely in rhyme, details a conspiracy of the devil Mephistopheles. Mephisto showed up. And damned figures of history to defeat the goodwill among men of Christmas by sending the Roman Emperor Nero to the North Pole to assassinate Santa Claus. Though through a battle of wits, Santa saves himself by winning Nero over to the joys of Christmas and gives him a Stradivarius violin. The play was reproduced in 1940 and 1944. Many television commercials, comic strips, and other media depict this as a sort of humorous business, with Santa's elves acting as a sometimes mischievously disgruntled workforce, cracking jokes and pulling pranks on their boss. For instance, in a Bloom County story from December 15, 1981, uh, the same year I was born, just several months later, of course, so this would have been during my first Christmas, through December the 24th of 1981, has Santa rejecting the demands of Petco, Professional Elves Toy Making and Craft Organization, for higher wages, they unionized. <laughs> a hot tub in the locker room, and aggressive recruitment of a wider gender spectrum of employee, short broads, 
With the elves then going on strike, President Reagan steps in, fires all of Santa's helpers, and replaces them with out-of-work air traffic controllers, which was an obvious reference to the 1981 air traffic controller strike, resulting in a riot before Santa vindictively rehires them in a humiliating new position such as his reindeer. In the 2001 Sopranos episode, To Save Us All from Satan's Power, Polly says he used to think Santa and Mrs. Claus were running a sweatshop over there. The original elves were ugly, traveled with Santa to throw bad kids a beaten and give the good ones toys. In Kyrgyzstan, a mountain peak was named after Santa Claus after a Swedish company had suggested the location be more efficient starting place for present delivering journeys all over the world. <clears throat> In Kyrgyz, capital, Bishkek, a Santa Claus festival was held on December the 30th, 2007, with government officials attending. In 2008, it was officially declared the year of Santa Claus in the country, and the events are seen as moves to boost tourism to Kyrgyzstan. And, of course, in other news, the Guinness World Record for the largest gathering of Santa Clauses is held by Thrissur Kerala, India, in India on December the 27th, 2014, where 18,112 Santas overtook the previous record uh, held by Derry City, Northern Ireland, had held the record since September the 9th, 2007, where 12,965 Santas dressed up. And prior to that, the record was 3,921, which was set during the Danta Dash event in Liverpool City Center in 2005 and then a gathering of Santas in 2009 in Bucharest, Romania attempted to top the world record but failed with only 3,939 Santas and oddly enough Santa Claus appears in a few video games as well now there are definitely some other traditions and I guess you could say rituals I mean yeah that, that comes to mind whenever talking about Santa Claus um, one of course the most popular ones um, and something that has been done for quite some time uh, is is kids writing letters mm. to Santa to, to let them know what they want uh, for Christmas and of course it also gives parents an idea because if the kid doesn't say directly something they want for Christmas, they may actually say, hey, in a letter to Santa Claus, I'm going to, you know, let him know what I want. Mm -hmm. And then the parents have a way of being able to figure out, you know, what else may be secret on the list that they haven't been told directly that they can get that Santa gift as. Children sometimes write letters to Santa Claus, often with a wish list of presents that they wish to receive. Some postal services recognize this tradition and may accept letters addressed to Santa Claus. Writing letters to Santa Claus has the educational benefits of promoting literacy, computer literacy, and email literacy with the advancements in modes of letter writing. A letter to Santa is often a child's first experience of correspondence Written and sent with the help of a parent or teacher, children learn about the structure of a letter, salutations, and the use of an address and postcode. So, one of the first 
times that we learn about how to actually correctly fill out an envelope. For those of you that don't know, that's that extra piece of paper that's folded together with some adhesive and usually a viewable window that is with your printed yeah. bills that come every month. Uh, and that thing that those bills are usually enclosed in <laughs> is an envelope. Um, I know that there are so many people that wind up getting all of that stuff done electronically yeah. now. Um, but those things do still exist and and can be sent back and forth through the Postal Service, believe it or not. But according to the Universal Postal Union, 2007 study and survey of national postal operations, the United States Postal Service has the oldest Santa letter answering effort by a national postal system. The USPS Santa letter answering effort started in 1912 out of the historic James Farley Post Office in New York and since 1940 has been called Operation Santa to ensure that letters to Santa are adopted by charitable organizations, major, major corporations, local businesses, and individuals in order to fulfill the wishes of children. Those seeking a North Pole holiday postmark through the USPS are told to send their letter from Santa or a holiday greeting card by December the 10th to North Pole Holiday Postmark Postmaster 4141 Postmark Drive Anchorage Alaska 99530 In 2006 according to the UPU's 2007 study and survey of national postal operations France's postal service received the most letters for Santa Claus or Père Noël with 1,220,000 letters received from 126 countries. Good Lord. France's Postal Service in 2007 especially recruited someone to answer the enormous volume of mail that was coming from Russia for Santa Claus and other Santa letter processing information according to the UPU's 2007 study and survey of national post operations include... Countries whose national postal operator operators answer letters to Santa and other end-of-year holiday figures, and the number of letters received in 2006 were 500,000 for Germany, 117,000 for Australia, 6,000 for Austria, 500 for Bulgaria, 1,060,000 for Canada, 232,000 for Spain. United States has no figure because statistics are not kept centrally. Finland with 750,000, France with 1,220,000, Ireland with 100,000, New Zealand with 110,000, Portugal 255,000, Poland 3,000, Slovakia 85,000, Sweden 150,000, Switzerland 17,863, Ukraine 5,019, and the UK with 750,000 letters to Santa Claus. <clears throat> Excuse me. In 2006, Finland's National Postal Operation received letters from 150 countries representing 90% of the letters received, and France's Postal Service from 126 countries, Germany from 80 countries, and Slovakia from 20 countries. In 2007, Canada Post replied to letters in 26 languages and Dutch Post in 16 languages. And some national postal operators make it possible to send in email messages which are answered by physical mail 
all the same. So you can send in an email and get an actual letter in response to mm. said email. Santa still receives far more letters than email through the national postal operators, pr- proving that children still write letters. National post. Could you imagine that? That the only time that a child at some point in time or a human being may wind up actually fully writing out a letter of some sort is the one or ones that they write to Santa Claus during their childhood. National Postal Operators offering the ability to use an online web form with or without a return email address to Santa and obtain a reply include Canada Post. Online web records uh, in France. France's Postal Service offers one online. Uh, New Zealand offers one online. And in France, December 6, 2010, a team of 60 postal elves had sent out reply cards in response to 80,000 emails uh, requested and more than 500,000 physical letters to their office. So, yeah, um, the the fact of being able to still write Santa a letter and, like I said, the, the fact that most of the only letters that uh, a human being could potentially even write in their entire lifetime would be letters to Santa during their childhood. Another popular tradition mm-hmm. whenever it comes to Santa Claus, of course, other than the appearance, the writing letters to Santa Claus, is the fact that he comes down a chimney. Yeah. <clears throat> and the tradition of Santa Claus... Being said to enter dwellings through the chimney is shared by many European seasonal gift givers. In pre-Christian Norse tradition, Odin would often enter through chimneys and fire holes on the solstice. And in the Italian Bafana tradition, the gift-giving witch is perpetually covered with soot from her trips down the chimneys of children's homes. Mm. So, more pagan connotation with the, the... tradition of the chimney and how Santa enters the home as opposed to the more religious but of course as we found out almost the entirety of the tradition is derived from something other than Mm -hmm. the quote unquote Puritan Christian movement Christmas Eve as another um, in the United States and Canada children may leave a glass of milk and a plate of cookies intended for Santa in Britain and Australia, sherry or beer and mince pies are left instead. In Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, it is common for children to leave him rice porridge with sugar and cinnamon instead. In mm. Ireland, it is popular to leave Guinness or milk along with Christmas pudding or mince pies. So, in a sense, if he is circumnavigating the globe visiting all these different areas it might make sense that he hits different countries almost in a zigzag pattern around the globe to get bouncing back and forth dinner then dessert so yeah he's literally in different port yeah. points throughout the, the his travels is getting something that's not all sweets at the yeah. same time and and of course you know throughout Europe mixing in some uh uh beer Sherry, yeah. uh, and of course, even some Guinness. <clears throat> in Hungary, St. Nicholas, or Miklaus, hmm. or Father Winter, Telepo, or Telepo, Pio, Po, 
Telepa, Telepa, Telepa. I'm trying to look at the phonetics wow. on this. I know. It's a very simple word, but it's just where the uh, uh, enunciation, where the, accent, the grammatical accent things yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, comes on the night of the 5th of December, and the children get their gifts the next morning. They get sweets in a bag if they were good and a golden-colored birch switch if not. On Christmas Eve, Little Jesus comes and gives gifts for everyone. This is in Hungary. Mm-hmm. In Sylvania, St. Nicholas, Mick loves, also brings small gifts for good children on the eve of December the 6th. And Boschek, Christmas man, brings gifts on the eve of 25th of December. And Dedek Mraz, Grandfather Frost. I wonder if it's related to Jason Mraz. It's spelled well, the same way. What it sounds like is amongst the whole planet, Santa Claus isn't doing all the gift giving in one night. No, he's there actually got others. A lot, there are several days throughout the month. Or there are other, yeah, versions or so Santa is helpers, his air quote helpers. Yeah. So yes. Santa isn't when people are like, "How's he do it all in one?" He's he doesn't. The the he's Slovenian. only going to specific places in one night. Yeah, hmm. Santa Claus as we know him is getting a majority of English speaking countries. Yes, uh, Santa Claus. Miklavs, mm-hmm. uh, um, Papa Noel, and some of Pater them are Noel. doing it on the fourth, fifth, and sixth of December, some, as opposed to going into yeah. January. Yeah, and some going into January. So he's got an entire month, or they have they, an entire yeah. month of being able to get the stuff where it needs to go, yeah. without having to be done in just a single night. Uh, after the children have fallen asleep, parents play the role of Santa Claus and leave their gifts under the Christmas tree, which may be signed as being from Santa Claus. Uh, we've definitely talked about the appearance, but of course, Santa is generally depicted as portly, jolly, white-bearded man, often with spectacles, wearing a red outfit consisting of a jacket, trousers, and hat, all lined with white fur, <clears throat> accessorized with black leather belt and boots, and carrying a bag full of gifts for children. In the 1823 poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas popularized this image in North America during the 19th century. And caricaturist and political cartoonist, as we mentioned before, Thomas Nass, also played a role in the creation of what we know today as Santa's image. And And though most often portrayed as white, Santa is also depicted as black or of other races, and his race or color is sometimes a subject of controversy and something that we will get into in the Patreon portion yes, of this particular episode. The ho-ho-ho is another way that many languages write out how Santa Claus laughs. Ho-ho-ho, Merry Christmas. It is a textual rendition of a particular type of deep-throated laugh or chuckle most associated today with Santa Claus and Father Christmas. The laughter of Santa Claus has long been an important attribute by which the character is identified, almost kind of like Dolly Parton to us. Mm -hmm. She can be in her regular normal clothes, not in in the actual Dolly. Yeah, if she's hiding. Yeah, if she's hiding, you hear the laugh and you know exactly who it is. Um, It does not appear in many non-Spanglish 
English-speaking countries and the traditional 1823 Christmas poem, A Visit from St. Uh, from St. Nicholas relates that Santa has a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Apart from that, and like I said um, just a moment ago, uh, as far as the the race of Santa Claus, uh, among other things, is what we're going to continue mm-hmm. um, after we finish up because we've definitely uh, ran quite a ways with this one and there are so many more things to actually get into um and some things that people probably would be more shocked to hear about yeah um especially how different decades throughout the years santa has been recognized for different things um even some negative stuff within the last 25 years with movies like bad santa which we find humorous but it also paints stuff like that in a yeah. very negative light because during a period of time, and even now today, you wind up running into mall Santas or Santas for hire in some capacity through some business that reek of alcohol and or other you yes. know, substances. And there's also been the negative connotation of, of something that unfortunately is predominant in this day of age and that being pedophilia yeah unfortunately it very sadly yeah um but yeah we're not going to include any of that stuff on what would be the regular episode but but our our patron yes our patreon supporters get to hear patrons patrons and unedited episodes so if you want to dive deep into it with us you can become a patreon member at studio 66 uh, by going to our TLD Studio 66 website, following the support link to our Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you can take part in different tiers, depending on how you want to support, and you get different things in entail. Uh, Especially bloopers, if I've been yes. trying to speak German in any capacity. <laughs> uh, yes, you get between gag rails and outtakes and full uncut episodes uh, that the regular ears don't hear and stuff like that, along with some gifts from Tennessee Legend Distiller. So you too can become a Patreon member today by following us there. Yeah, and like I said, that's pretty much all going to be it for the the regular episode, which you'll be able to hear uh, going to YouTube Mm -hmm. um, throughout any of your podcast outlets or anything like that. So yeah, we're going to wind up moving on from this one. If you wind up going ahead and... uh, getting the gift or giving yourself Mm -hmm. the gift of becoming a Patreon subscriber, uh, head on over there. You'll be able to catch back up with Opie and myself as we continue this even deeper dive into the legend that is Santa Claus. Absolutely. But for you non-Patreon listeners, thank you for tuning in. Take care of yourselves. Take care of others. Have a Merry Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And cheers to you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Between Two Barrels. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information about what's happening with any of the Studio 66 shows, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, click the thumbs up, whatever you have to do to make sure you get your fill of this legendary content. To do so, search Studio 66 on Facebook or Instagram or the Studio 66 playlist on YouTube from Tennessee Legend Distillery. 
You can also subscribe to our Patreon channel, patreon.com slash tldstudio66, for additional content for all of the Studio 66 shows, as well as gifts from the different Studio 66 podcasts and Tennessee Legend Distillery. And if that wasn't enough, you can also visit our website, tldstudio66.com, where you can find links to all of the shows and podcasts, as well as merchandise for all of the individual podcasts, And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Heck, you can even leave us a voicemail if you like via SpeakPipe or send us an email at tldtube23 at gmail.com. However you go about it, make sure you don't miss out on getting even more legendary info about the studio as well as the distillery from Studio 66, presented by Tennessee Legend Distillery. 